Major Lindsay in Africa presents Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health in the legal profession. Welcome to Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health in the legal profession. This podcast is brought to you by Major Lindsay in Africa, the global leader in legal recruiting and advisory services. I'm Mark Yacono, your host. I'm a managing director in the firm's Transform Advisory Services practice. My guest today is Denise Gaskin from Ravenwork. She is an expert on all things law firm culture, lawyer adoption of healthy work environments. Her company does some very compelling work. And because we are putting this together to help those of you working at home and adjusting to the COVID-19 crisis, I'm going to turn it over to Denise, who's going to be probably a little more articulate about what she does than I just was. So Denise, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Hi, Mark. Uh, Thank you for having me on this podcast. I'm thrilled to be here talking about working remotely and how to take care of yourself during this time of disruption, if not crisis. So I am a former law firm chief operating officer. I spent 12 years working at two different law firms, most recently at a large regional law firm in the Pacific Northwest, uh, serving uh, uh, clients and and lawyers and staff uh, from California to Alaska. So I have struck out on my own as of January so that I could focus on two topics that I'm very passionate about. One is uh, uh, wellness, uh, health promotion, creating healthy workplaces and helping people to be the healthiest they can be so that they can thrive. And also just uh, looking at the culture of law firms. In particular, how is the culture set up to either support its people and clients or is the culture actually detracting from a law firm actually achieving what it is it wants to achieve to achieve in the markets in which it works? So I'm very, very passionate and eternally curious about those two subjects and so want to devote my time to working with, with not just law firms, but really professional service firms in helping them measure and make changes to their culture and to their health and their environment, which includes health. The issues that you're, you're, you're passionate about are the issues that professional services firms are wrestling with to keep their people healthy, avoid burnout, and you know avoid unnecessary attrition. One of the things I'd like you to do before we get into it is you have actually some educational background that lends yourself to, to this field. And, and so could you share a little bit about your training? You're unusual. You're not just a former COO, COO. You also have some, I think, really unique qualifications to do this work. Well, you know, before I joined the, the legal field, I actually had two friends who were lawyers, and they were the only lawyers I knew. Uh, they talked me into actually uh, applying for a COO position at a law firm. And so I guess I have everything, I owe them everything, or I can blame them for everything. Um, but before that, I worked in behavioral health, and I worked in the behavioral health field for a dozen years. Uh, and before that, I worked for a large hospital system. So my background is unusual for a law firm leader. Uh, I 
uh, am a, I have my background, my undergraduate degree is in exercise physiology and health promotion. I have a master's degree in counseling psychology and worked in that field for a while. And then I, I uh, did my doctorate work at the University of Tennessee in a program uh, called educational psychology, where we studied uh, communication, dialogue, and collaboration. Uh, I was, did my doctorate work while I was also working for a behavioral health organization, so I was able to take what I was learning and apply that to the teams that I was working with. And there was a real emphasis in that program on understanding culture. Uh, what kind, and, and culture is seen through the lens of communication and language, uh, which is how we measure culture, right? We talk, we, we look at how people talk to one another. Uh, and, and today we look at all of the online tools that we use and how, how are we working together? How are we not working together? Uh, do, are we nice to each other? Uh, do, are, do we have a demanding culture? Is it one of us and them? So those are the kinds of things that I study and I help other people to kind of take, hit that pause button and stand back and look at their companies or their business or their firm and ask those same questions. How are we doing? How are things around here? So I think that really brings us to a nice segue into our topic today, which is how do lawyers adjust to the mass deployment of themselves to their homes? You know, there, have, there has been remote work in the legal and other professional services firms for some time, but we all know that a very, very large, large percentage of firms and lawyers refer to or are expected to work out of their offices. So all of a sudden we have sort of a mass influx of people being quartered to their home. And what are the what are the implications of that for, for this sudden shift in, in work location and work style? What are some of the the sort of the psychological, cultural, mental things that people have to adjust to? So, Mark, I've been thinking a lot about this, and part of what I have done is gone back and looked at some of the research on the lawyer brain. And, you know, you probably have followed Dr. Larry Richard. Uh, he has done a lot of, he's a lawyer and also a clinical psychologist, and he's done a lot of work in just studying lawyers and how they think, and he is one. So I'm sure there's been a lot of self-study going on. So as I was reviewing some of this material um, and thinking about how I can also help people uh, in this remote environment right now, and just it just also just in this time of disruption, and I just I want to make the point that usually when a crisis happens to us, it happens in one area of our life. You know, you have a loved one who suddenly gets sick, or you somebody loses a job. But you're just, usually when we have a crisis, we're just dealing with one thing. This COVID-19 is disrupting almost every part of our life from creating financial worries and stress to relationship issues or challenges and staying connected. And it's created worry and concern about our loved ones, um, especially those who might be in those higher risk categories. So I just want to point out that this is a, a, an emotional challenge for everybody right now and really on multiple levels. But let's talk for a minute about lawyers. And I know, Mark, you can jump in and tell me some of your experiences um, 
uh, for these bullet points that I'm about to say. So one, let's talk about lawyer traits. Um, lawyers as a group, not everyone, are highly pessimistic. We know this. They also have fine, fine attention to detail. There, I, um, I had a lawyer tell me once, Denise, you should give me a document that you want me to read. If you need to give me a, a smaller document, because when you give me a larger document, I am going to mark it up. I can't help myself. So you need to help me. Um, that was a good lesson for me as a law firm COO. Also, you know, we know that there are kind of two kinds of lawyers. There are those who who are really outgoing and connect well with people, and then there are other ones who are reclusive. This was actually a really surprising thing that I found when I joined law firms 12 years ago, uh, that there wasn't a whole lot of in the middle. You know, people were either one or the other. And so, so this is, I think, particularly hard for people who may be more outgoing and maybe need and kind of work in more of a social way. I think that this remote work is particularly hard on them. It might not be as hard for people who are more introverted, and we can talk more about that later. So um, let's, let's, also, um, oh, go ahead. let's let's go back to a point you were making about perfectionism and yes. the lawyer who couldn't resist marking up a, a long document, whether that was required or not. So what what advice do you give to those lawyers who are now working in an imperfect work environment? Because I think we all recognize that unless you've planned for and set up for it, home's not necessarily the most ideal work environment. And in this, you know, in this unusual crisis, we have a lot of people within our firm and within our clients' law firms that are actually having to educate their kids and be, you know, sort of sort of teachers' assistants and 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 work virtually with the schools. And you have multiple spouses trying to work at home. Your internet bandwidth is jammed. What is the advice for the perfectionist? Because this is, by definition, an imperfect situation. If you are a type A person, if you are a perfectionist uh, and you know this about yourself, then this is something that you probably struggled with your whole life. You know, you, uh, when is enough good enough? That's always a question. Uh, have I researched this enough? Have I, have I edited this document enough? Is it absolutely flawless? So here are a couple pieces of advice. One, recognize this. First of all, you, everything starts with recognition. Um, to say, you need to say to yourself, I'm going to do good work because good, you, know, you have to do good work. Your clients require you to do good work. Your, you know, your licensure is based upon doing good, sound practice. So you've gotta, you've gotta set that minimum threshold, right? And then, and then after that, what are some things that maybe you can give up and maybe just give them up temporarily and think of it like this. This could be a new, a new way of working that you could create for yourself, a less stressful way of working. Use this time as an opportunity to practice something new and just tell yourself that you're just going to do it while you're in your, you know, working remotely during this environment. But it will be interesting to see what happens if you can let go of some of the perfectionism. The other uh, advice I would give on this is ask somebody to help you, uh, which is also difficult for lawyers to do, right? Because, you know, as a lawyer, you have all the answers. You are the go-to person 
for when people have questions or there, you know, something is on the line, people are coming to you and you're giving the answer. You're the teacher. Okay, so now you can shift into looking to other people to help you learn how to do something different, something you haven't done yet, done before. So you like leveraging, your, you, you're talking about things like leveraging different technology or learning a new way of communicating through Zoom, Microsoft Teams, all those things that maybe that have been lurking in the background of your firm infrastructure, but you just never thought to use. Yes, and also I'm going to use a word that Lord, that's going to make every lawyer listening to this really uncomfortable, and that is vulnerability. Um, we we all do our best work when we make ourselves vulnerable, when we lean into tools like you just mentioned, or we ask people for help, or we just admit, I don't know how to work the way I've always worked before. Can you help me figure out how? I can work different or asking your legal secretary or a paralegal, asking your staff, say, you know what, we've worked well over these years. I need you, I, I need you to work in a different way with me right now because I'm really struggling. I'm really struggling to produce the way we've always produced. Those people, in my experience, if you have an experienced legal assistant and an experienced paralegal, they probably have skills that you don't even know about. They probably have solutions and answers and ideas that would completely crack open the way you practice if you were to invite them to be part of working different. Well, and I think that is a, a, a phenomenal point, which is that this is an opportunity when you're in this situation to really leverage, fully leverage the talent around you and to actually listen to what some of the talent around you has to contribute to how you work differently. Because it, it is true that we can get into a mindset of how to work. There are other people who are very effective working differently and, and know how to do deep work in a shorter amount of time and know how to leverage these tools really well. And I think that's a great lesson is reach out and, and, and um, embrace the collective talent of your team. I think that would be, for me, a really important message that we'd want people to take away from this is don't view yourself as sitting in your house grumbling about how you're going to get your work done. Get your team together virtually and figure out how you're going to use everybody's skill set to get the work done really well. And to that point, Mark, what you could do is schedule a meeting with your team and have the entire agenda be, I want everybody to bring their skills to this meeting. I want everyone to show up to this meeting, however you're going to do it, and I want you to have a list of everything you know how to do, what you consider to be your superpowers, and you can even use, you know, make it fun, you know, that's the other thing, is right now, the way that we all get through this is we make it as fun as possible, as light as possible, and we connect frequently with people in multiple ways. So have this team meeting and send, tell everybody in advance, I want you to comment with your list of superpowers. What are you excellent at? Maybe some things that I don't even know about. And it doesn't all have to be related to work because you might find someone says, you know what, I'm a good legal assistant, but I write books on the side, or I'm a great editor. And as a lawyer, you may not have ever thought to use your legal assistant as an editor, but maybe they have that skill set, something they're really passionate about in their personal life, 
And maybe they've been segmenting their personal life from their professional life, and now is an opportunity for everyone to kind of bring their full talent to bear. And guess what? You know, you can use the excuse of we have to work different in order to really learn some new things about your people, which will have other really important benefits. And isn't that the opportunity that a crisis presents sometimes, which is to learn that there are different ways to to move forward and to grow? And And I think that no one wanted this to happen, but it has happened to us. So the, the, the real issue is how do we come out of this more nimble, dexterous, capable than we went into it rather than all having been driven crazy by, by being deployed to our homes? It is, I, I believe that crisis presents an opportunity. And in fact, I, when I was, uh, when I first got into legal work again, over a dozen years ago, I remember going to the managing partner one day and I said, you know, what I think we need around here is a good crisis, <laughs> you know, because I was trying to implement change and I was getting all this, this, this incredible wall of resistance. Everyone's like, no, it's fine. It's not broken. I want to do it the same way uh, that I've been practicing law for 35 years, you know, that kind of thing. And I just remember thinking if we had a good crisis, I could get people to work different. And so now yeah. we have a crisis, right? We have an yeah. opportunity. None of us wanted a pandemic, but it's here. And right. we have to do certain things to keep ourselves, our families, and, and and other people safe. And so while we're doing those things, it, it strikes me as it's an opportunity for growth. Now, before I interrupted your train of thought, you were um, sharing with me some of the research you were doing. And, and yes, we know at Major Lindsay, Dr. Larry Richard really well and um, respect him enormously. But I didn't mean to cut you off as you were kind of talking through how you've been, you know, trying to put this into a sort of an analytical framework. Well, what I've been trying to, to do is, is look through the lens of the lawyer, of the, the lawyer brain, the lawyer personality, and think about how we can help people weather this crisis through that lens. Um, because how, if I were speaking with a group of mental health professionals, um, it would probably be a slightly different conversation, right? Because that would be talking with people who are actually caring for people and helping them get through. And, and I think to a certain extent, lawyers are, you know, lawyers are helpers. You know, um, I, I've always said that when I joined the legal field, I was surprised at how much, how much it resembled other helping professions that I had worked in, including healthcare and behavioral health. Lawyers are just the, the kind of help that lawyers provide and the staff that work with them are help around words and language and problems associated with words and language, right? Because it kind of boils down to that. Um, and so, um, so, so other things I've noticed about the lawyer um, brain and the lawyer makeup is, um, you know, lawyers have kind of this dry dispassion. They, they're highly unemotional. And again, going back to the word vulnerable I used a little bit ago, a lot of lawyers don't like to lead with emotion. Lawyers very rarely buzz with excitement. And so, um, so you know, it, it is interesting to think about how you can get lawyers to actually be emotional even about this process. And, and one thing is to recognize that with disruption comes grief. I think that's a really good point. And, and before before you explore that, 
I just want to say that one of the things that's come out of the ABA Hazleton study, all the research and work that's been done on, on the legal profession and depression and substance abuse shows that isolation and that, that um, feeling that you're unable to show vulnerability or admit weakness is a real contributing factor in sort of the long-term decay of one's emotional and even physical health in, in this profession. So I think you're, you're, you, you've hit on how that's kind of exponentialized, if that's a word, well, it is now, um, you know, <laughs> and so I think this concept of grief is a really good one to explore because people have to unlock those emotions, I think, to get through this. So I, I completely agree with that. And then again, because it's not natural maybe or second nature for a lawyer to be emotional. You know, when I worked in behavioral health, we gave feedback to each other all the time. We were always talking about our feelings. We were always talking about how something impacted us personally. When I went over to, I mean, to the point where you had to actually put a moratorium on feedback sometimes in order just to get work done. Um, when I went over to legal, I found the exact opposite culture. I found a culture that never wanted to give any feedback uh, to anyone at any time. And I found this culture that also just didn't want to acknowledge feelings. And, you know, so I had this great curiosity about that. And I remember telling a, a friend of mine who is a clinical psychologist, um, I remember explaining to her about this culture and she just would look at me so baffled and say, how can you get anything done if people aren't really connecting and how do you set a vision? How do you get people enrolled in a common vision and, you know, tackle problems together? And I said, well, I think that that's part of the, the challenge that law firms face. And a lot, as you know, Mark, a lot of law firms are set up where they're more like a mall where you have people who have their own stores inside the overall umbrella uh, of this structure and the organization. And there isn't a common culture. I mean, there are a lot of law firms that don't have one single culture. They're made up of many subcultures. So this is uh, going back to the word opportunity. This is an opportunity for the leadership in a law firm to create a rallying cry, to create a we're, uh, you know, we're all in this together to default to we instead of me and encourage people to share. How is this going for you? You know, ask people to, you know, internally create your own podcast, create your own methods of communication and ask people to talk about what it's like to work remotely and tips and tricks and what they're doing. This is a huge opportunity for law firm leaders. It certainly is, and I think many of them are rising to the occasion based on tracking the trade press and watching the industry. I think the you know the issue that that I keep coming back to is that is very useful, and we desperately need that leadership within firms and other other professional services firms as well, and other firms you know in, in general. But for this group of lawyers. What is, what's the best way for them to settle into some sort of rhythm? I'm not gonna say to operate as normal because that seems to be kind of impossible, but to set some sort of rhythm that makes them feel as if they have focus in their day, but are able to accommodate the 
compromises that the situation's requiring them to, to make. What are your thoughts on what they can do to, to get there? So I'm gonna share some thoughts uh, from sources like Harvard Business Review and also just some podcasts that I've listened to on remote working. Because as you know, Mark, I'm now a remote worker myself by choice, not by circumstance, uh, like many people find themselves in. But as of January, I've, I work from home every day now. So, uh, so I, I have this practical experience of having to make that transition. I mean, I've gone from running a law firm, you know, a hundred million dollar uh, business to, um, to actually being someone who, uh, you know, is, having to manage their life, you know, every day and manage, you know, pets and kids and spouses and housework and, you know, everything, right? Because I'm here. So let me talk from those two perspectives. But one of the things that I have found super helpful is that just to pretend that you're not working from home. So have a dedicated workspace that is your office and you travel to that space. So even if it just, it takes you five seconds to get there, rather than 35 minutes, um, have that like that, that real, you know, that real trip, if you will, that you have to make, go there. Get up early, dress as if you are going to work. You don't have to wear a suit, of course, um, but put on clothes, you know, get out of your bathrobe, get out of your bunny slippers. Um, I mean, I'm not saying do that every day, but I have found that it's really helpful for me to actually put on real clothes. Actually, a funny, a funny anecdote is one of our um, our offices has a sort of subgroup of recruiters who meet on a regular basis, and they met virtually last week uh, by video. And one of them had walked down to his basement, was at his desk in a suit and tie because that's how he rolls. So, you know, he, mm -hmm. it, that's what he needed to steal up for a day of video conferences and interviews with candidates. And it makes perfect sense. Get your put your armor on. Right. Or just or just get it, it shifts your mindset. Right. Because it's the same thing that happens when you go to work out. What do you do when you go to work out? You put on your workout clothes and your shoes. And you have the, you have, we all have outfits, quote unquote, that we wear when we work out. That helps us mentally transition. Okay, now I'm, now I'm working out. So, so let's, um, let's, so, let's talk about the office space. Office space could be no, could be as simple as a card table in a corner, but it is something you've yeah. designated for work, not putting together puzzles and work, but just work. And tell your family, especially if you, if everybody else is in the house right now, let your family know this is my workspace from 8 a.m. until 5 p.m. or whatever your designated hours are. And let them know that that space is off limits for other things because you need that space for the focus on work. And you need, even if you get up and take a break, you need to be able to come back to that dedicated space. So setting ground rules is, is a big big, big piece of this as well. Yeah, and it's, I would say that with your family, uh, it's not so much ground rules as it is agreement, you know, because everyone's Great gonna point. need their own space. My, my, um, my stepdaughter had to come home from school early and she's here right now and she's finishing, she's doing all of her classwork. Um, she's at the university. She's doing all of her classwork remotely. And um, yesterday, she finally said to me, I need a space to work. I, the working, you know, doing my homework in my bed isn't working for me anymore. 
And so I helped her set up a workspace and she got, and she told me yesterday at the end of the day, she got so much done because she was able to sit at a desk with a chair and have her space. And, and even though it wasn't walled off in any way, she had her dedicated area and she made considerable progress on, on her work. Excellent. And that's a great point is it's not so much about having physical walls. It's about having a focus point where you can bring your work and you know that's your purpose. Yes. So a couple of other tips. One, plan your day just like you would do. And if you never did plan your day before, let's say you just sort of, you know, got swept along with with whatever you know, the conversation was and you went from water cooler to water cooler and you can't do that now. Uh, you may have to actually stop and actually be a little bit more intentional about what you decide to get done. Uh, my friend Mo Bunnell, who is uh, who has a company called Grow Big, which does professional development training uh, for professionals, including lawyers. He uh, recently, I was chatting with him, and he said, Denise, don't forget your three MITs each week, and an MIT is the most important thing. So as you're building your schedule, think about your MITs. What are the three most important things I need to do this week? And maybe you have more than three. Maybe you have one. I don't, you know, it just depends how big it is. But each week, decide what is the most important thing? What is the deadline I'm working on? What are the communications I need to do? With whom? How am I going to do them? Um, you know, I was thinking this morning, this is a really good time for me personally to just send, send handwritten letters to people to encourage them, including some people that I used to work with in the legal field who I know who I know are still on the front lines and they're really their lives are really tough. So I can actually be supportive of them by doing something as simple as sending them a note, thinking of you, hope you're doing well. You know, hey, I thought you might like this article. I came across this this great, you know, 10 tips to maintain your sanity. Um, whatever it is, you know, give some things to people. Think outside yourself. I think you made two two really good points. One about planning. I think if people didn't use a planner or some type of time blocking methodology before this crisis, they should now because if you have children, for example, one of my colleagues, they have to have a conference call with, with their child's teachers every day and the kids have mm -hmm. homework that has to be turned in. So she really has right. to be, she and a whole slew of other people we know and work with and, and know out there have to be really meticulous about this is the time I'm going to be online. This is the time I have to, um, you know, attend to my kids' education because now we have parents who are her assistant school teachers and headmasters and headmistresses and, and, and the like. Right. And then they may have to resume certain work at a different time, but the time blocking gives them at least a visual understanding and a way to manage external expectations. And what what we found in talking to our clients is everybody kind of feels like they're in this together. So they understand that we all may have to be flexible about timing and start times and adjustments because everybody's coping with the same same issues. Everybody is, and you know, the other thing that I think is pretty funny, and some people are, are I think, are, are you know, again, using the humor in this situation. But I, I know a lawyer who, uh, when she gets on client calls, uh, her her client has 
dogs and she has a dog and they let the dogs uh, get on the video and they introduce their dogs and they have like a little dog moment, you know, uh, and then they get down to work. So, I mean, that to me, that's part of that flexibility. And then also if you get interrupted, um, if you're having a meeting and kids interrupt or your pet, pets interrupt, you know, play with it. Have some, and this is going back to the lawyer personality. Uh, you know, that lawyer can have that tendency of being irritated when something were to happen like that. So my encouragement to you is relax some of those traditional ways of being right now and just know and just be human. Be a real person because you know what? Your client is a real person and they're struggling and they're facing, like you said, Mark, they're facing the same level of disruption and challenge and that you are. And so you know, you don't have to be a superhero right now. Just be real. Be a real person to them. That is so important. And that connects with your, you know, what you said just a few minutes ago. I personally try to write a handwritten note to someone every day. Now, I am physically separated from my stationery, which, which, which could in another scenario drive me crazy but what i've been trying to do is send an email or a text to someone who you know they're you know that you know they're probably stressing out right now because this isn't their mm -hmm. their thing just to say how are you doing how can i help i happen to be in a position where i have a very ideal work environment my kids are also grown-ups so i'm offering mm -hmm. for people who have you know, on the team who have other commitments, if there's anything I can take off their plate because I, I don't have to juggle the things they do. I'm, I mean, I'm making that offer in, in sincerity because I'm in, I'm in a position and stage of life where I can do that. And I think that people have appreciated, one, being checked on, and two, the idea that you're not judging them, you're just being willing to help because you don't have you don't have all of the things to juggle that they do. And I think that empathy is really important right now. So Mark, I, I don't know if you've read Sheryl Sandberg's uh, book, Plan B. Uh, she wrote that book after her husband died suddenly and she was suddenly, she was now a single parent to, you know, uh, school age kids dealing, dealing with all the things that come with being a sudden, not, not only her own grief and loss, but having to be a single parent and things like, you know, Father Sunday at school. And um, there was a passage in this book where she says, um, she says, you know, when you no longer have plan A, when plan A is not available, you need to figure out how to rock the shit out of plan B. And I love that because to me, that's also about resilience, right? It's about, we don't have plan A anymore. It's just not available. We can't go out and socialize and do things the way we have always done them. We, we, it's, we have no plan A right now. So how are you going to make the most of plan B? You know, and what are the things that, that you can do? And again, one of the things I want to emphasize, the other thing that, that she says in there, and I want to emphasize, is don't necessarily ask other people what you can do. Some people you can do that for. But if somebody's in a real crisis, then you put the burden of figuring out how you can help them on them, on that person who's in crisis. Instead, offer something. Offer something. That is, that is great advice. And I think it, it is how we get through and how lawyers who are suddenly in this mass deployment to their homes, 
going to cope. It's by proactively reaching out to each other. And um, I think, you know, there's a lot of tips on how to organize your workspace. And we've put out some of that material. You've seen some of that material. But I think really what, what the best part of our conversation today has been how to be a supportive person and how to have some emotional um, depth in order to get through this, which is as important as having your own workspace, really. And, you know, it, it's yeah. just as important or maybe even more important in terms of how do we create, you know, sort of this positive energy in this teamwork by giving and listening better and being more empathetic. Um, I think that that's a great thing that doesn't get talked about enough when we talk about, well, the whole firm has to work remotely now. Well, what does that mean? Well, there's logistical right. things that we just talked about. But there's also cultural things. It gets back to culture again. Right. There are cultural things that we can do to contribute to the culture. That's kind of my takeaway from what you've been saying today. So I, I, I want to uh, focus on some defaults here um, right now. I think if we can all default to these things, we will weather this emotionally because you're right. There's all the technical things and we could go on and on about do this and don't do that. And that really wasn't the purpose of our conversation, but this is more about what can you do to help yourself emotionally uh, and, uh, and in, um, in psychologically, you know, and, and community and spiritually even. So I go back to these defaults. Um, first of all, um, Motley Fool, if you haven't followed them, um, they do, you know, stock advice and advisors and um, they, they're a unique company and they have a podcast and I would encourage people to listen to it if you want to find out more about Motley Fool's culture. But I listened one day to their podcast on their culture and they have these 10 rules that they follow. And one of them is default to generous. I love that because they said they use that as a lens. So when they're making decisions and they're going about the day, they actually stop and say, is this the most generous we can be with this policy, this procedure, this decision, whatever it is. And they use that as a lens, literally. I started to use that as my lens as well. Am I defaulting to generous? Am I being generous with clients? Am I being generous with my family? Am I being generous with my words, with my thoughts? Am I being generous with myself? So I want to take pause and take a second and talk about how we ha all of this starts with us. So if you are a, um, a perfectionist, you are probably really, really hard on yourself. And you're probably harder on yourself than anybody else is. So can you default to generous with yourself? Even if it's just during this crisis, just an opportunity to try something new. That's where you have to start, really, right? You have to start right. with giving your, cutting yourself some slack. Exactly. It goes back to what we, we were talking about earlier. How do you do this? Well, you have to first start with you and say, you know what? I'm just not gonna be operating at the same level that I normally am, but I'm gonna rock the hell out of plan B, right? Okay, so default to generous. Default to nice also. Um, I got to the point in hiring lawyers and staff, when we got to the point in our hiring where I said, you know what, all things being equal, you need to skilled people. But we can also teach a lot of skills, but you can't teach nice. 
you know. So I want people who have focused on being nice. They're pleasant. They like to work with people because guess what? When clients have a choice, they're going to choose to work with people they like if that is a choice versus people who they're tolerating. And so same is true for anyone who works, who works in the firm. Also default to kind, tell people thank you. Um, right, I talked with um, somebody who's in the role of chief information officer this week. And um, this person was telling me how hard their team is working because they've suddenly turned into supporting the entire workforce um, remotely. And they're supporting people's at home uh, setups, you know, including their own Wi-Fi and their bandwidth and everything. And she's like, everyone's being really good right now, but I'm really worried in a week or two weeks when everyone's patience starts to wear off, I think that my team's going to get beat up. And so I was like, oh, you just need to get ahead of that. You just need to send something out right now that tells people things are going to get rough and here's how we expect you to behave. And again, that comes from leadership, going back to a leadership. Leadership needs to set that tone and say, you know what, when once people start getting really tired of this and the novelty wears off, there's going to be that tendency to be grumpy and, and to be irritable and to want things to return to normal now. And you have people working incredibly hard just to keep things going. So default to kind, default, default also to we. We're in this together. This is about all of us. I We're all making sacrifices. I think that's where we shouldn't mistake remote work or uh, independent work. We're working remotely, but we're still collaborative. The power of gratitude and um, hu you know, kindness and, and, and human, human sort of thoughtfulness is not diluted because we're working remotely. In fact, it's a more valued trait than ever before. And the power of a thank you can you know, make your team function so much better because people feel appreciated. So remote doesn't mean independent. It doesn't. And I think during this time, we all need to over communicate. So if you have a tendency to not want to communicate in order to clog people's email inboxes, now's the time to chuck that idea out the window and just over communicate. Check in frequently. How are you doing? Ask your team how they're doing. Ask your, ask your staff, the people who work with you, how are you coping with taking care of kids and running a household and, you know, managing? I, I, I don't know if it's you, um, but I, Mark, but yesterday I went to the grocery store just to get regular groceries and there was so little in the store. I was shocked at how little there was to choose from. And, um, and I'm, you know, just like, do do your does your are your team members struggling with feeding their family? Um, are they struggling with managing all, like you said, being a teacher and you know, connecting, you know, doing things you know that they has haven't had to do before? So how how are you being supportive of them? Are you being kind? Are you being generous? Are you listening? Are you asking questions? Are you being a human? I think those are that is that is really critical, and I think that is a good place for us to wind down. Your your thoughtfulness and the depth and experience you bring to the topic are extraordinarily well appreciated, and I can't thank you enough for for doing this on short notice. You're welcome, and I'll leave you with with one thought. I, I heard a political leader uh, make this statement, and I thought it was really powerful. 
Um, that is, we may be working remotely, but we can be connected spiritually uh, and, and connected emotionally. So I think that that, you know, while we're practicing social distancing and working remotely, it doesn't mean like to your point, it doesn't mean that you actually have to be disconnected. Use this opportunity to actually get more connected and learn things about your team that you had. You just you never took the time to get to know before. That is a great way to close and it's such powerful advice. Denise, thank you very much. We, we, we really appreciate you being our guest. Discover how Major Lindsay in Africa can help you navigate the legal landscape at www.mlaglobal.com.